Hello, and welcome to another episode of Alec Mappa Hot Mess with Matthew Dempsey, psychotherapist. I'm Alec Mappa. I'm an actor and comedian. I live in Hollywood. And I'm Matthew Dempsey. <laughs> what do you do, Matthew? Why are you here? I'm a psychotherapist. Wait, you, everything is cut down on what we were going to say. Really? No, no, yes. this, no, this is what we're doing. We're, we're starting the show right away. This okay, time. great. Let's you just... look, you look terrific. Right you look, you know what I want to do? I want to see you, um, I want to see you blow dry your hair. I want to see the work that it takes to make it look so perfect. Well, that would take our entire 15 minute intro. So do we really, really want to really spend that on that? Does it that long? No, I don't know. Maybe five to 10. It's really <laughs> terrific, folks. If you've ever gotten a look, go to Matthew Dempsey's Instagram, MJ Dempsey Psych at Instagram. And he's blushing right now because he has. Yes. Like, and I also about talk about really looks. wonderful, meaningful things. Like, yeah. you know, and I just kind of drag you down to my level and just Great. keep things really shallow. But you know what? something called balance. How are yeah. you? This is the show. It's <laughs> hot mess and where I discuss my mental issues. So mental health issues. So you don't have to. <laughs> and here I am with a therapist, uh, Matthew Dempsey. And the uh, subject today is depression. That's How's right. that? Oh, it's just so wonderful and uplifting. I can't wait to jump right in. You must treat a lot of people with depression, I imagine, yeah. especially yeah. De- now. Depression and anxiety, I would say that those are probably the, the the most common things that people are coming through with. Right. I yeah. think that I've suffered, I suffered from depression for most of my life without doing anything about it. Really? Yeah, I think it started when I was at NYU and I would just... um well, it was also seasonal, but I would also like have like, uh, like, I'm not kidding, like a month to six weeks where I would just be incapable of doing the simplest things. Huh? Like how frequently would that happen? Is it just Um, like once a year or how frequently? It was kind of like always, oh, here it is again. And I thought it was just me. This is just who I am as a personality. I think, I think it started in high school and I always thought, well, it's because I'm gay and it's because I'm different. And I wasn't Mm -hmm. raised in, um, you know, my parents' generation, they were very stoic. Right. You know, and they're Asian. Yeah. So therapies for other, it wasn't in my culture to ask for help. Well, to ask for help, but even just to talk about anything on an emotional to level. Even talk about anything on an emotional level. I mean, to the point where when I first moved to Los Angeles in 1992, mm-hmm. within the span of six months, my boyfriend broke up with me. Um, I had a business manager steal all my money and oh my, my mother died all within the span of six months. Oh, and, and you just moved. You uprooted your and entire I just, life. Yes. And I didn't, I didn't seek any help at all. And I became at one point, I was so depressed. I was agoraphobic. Yeah. Like I was afraid to leave the house because everything hurt my feelings. Everything. Yeah. If I saw people arguing, if I saw any kind of like, and it would come out of the blue, like something would just, and you know, just make me dissolve, dissolve into tears. Yeah. I really can't explain it. It was like, my sadness was so profound. And then I, but again, I didn't seek any medical help because I thought, well, this is me. And this, this seems appropriate. <laughs> totally. Well, when because if you're growing up in a world that's not telling you how to actually know and understand your feelings, then right. yeah, you don't really have any context for it. Yeah. But that was like that hit me like a whammy. Like yeah. I was in I was in bed, like just getting up to eat and and, and move my car on the street. Yeah. Oh, my God. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I didn't seek any I didn't seek any help. But I think in the past, I think in the past three years, that kind of that mood became more acute. And it became stronger, that kind of like deep kind of thing to the point where I was feeling despair. What was that? What was that defining moment then for you when you actually realized, okay, I need to do something about this? Um, I was um, I was at the Trader Joe's 
And I stopped in an aisle, just stopped and stared off into space. And I just mm. felt like, I actually felt like my, like my innards were sinking. Like yeah. I just, and I just felt despair about being a parent, despair about my career, despair about everything. And um, it's a, it was a kind of despair where there was no light at the end of the tunnel. It was like, yeah. this is it. And that's when I finally thought this isn't normal. I don't like yeah. feeling this way. And also there are people depending on me. Right. My, this isn't good for my kid. And I yeah. think that's when I finally um, uh, got, uh, saw a psychiatrist mm-hmm. and it changed everything. I was like, I should have been on this years ago. Yeah. 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 I'm totally. On, I'm on the Lexapro. Oh, good. But so mm-hmm. it actually, you know, it does a shift for you. And that's great because, I mean, I think we also, we really grow up in kind of like a culture that stigmatizes mental health stuff in general, but Why? also treating things. Why? Because that's just, because that would then have to, that would then have to suggest that emotionality is normal. It's okay. It is courageous to be able to check in on those things. It's not mm-hmm. a weakness. Right. So that's the thing. Everybody wants to avoid it because we've learned that this is something that's like, you know, this disability about us. It's what's not okay. It's, it's what makes do you us think broken. it's like a weakness? Like people perceive yeah, it as a sure weakness? Yeah, for sure it's a weakness. I yeah, think that's how my parents historically, it. Historically, it's been, it's been viewed as a weakness. I would say actually one of the biggest champions of uh, valuing our emotions has mm-hmm. been Brene Brown talking about the power of vulnerability Boy. and how we can actually speak about that and that that actually means strength. She's got weakness. a lot of mileage off that one TED talk. I am obsessed with her. I love her. So yeah. Much. <laughs> Are you going to give a TED talk? Yes. I think that you should do a TED talk. I don't think so. Believe it or not, I actually have incredible stage fright. So you do, <laughs> do not. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, of course. Are you kidding me? No, why? I can't see that about you. I have stage fright right before I go on. Like right before I go on, I'm like, I wish I was dead. And then as soon as I open my mouth on stage, I'm fine. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. I just kind of always avoid any any opportunity to you know speak, speak on publicly. stage and well, speak that's publicly. Like the, yeah. Isn't that the number one fear, <laughs> psychological fear of people is is speaking publicly? I, it's mine. So let's just say yes. Uh... <laughs> but you know what? I mean, you were talking about depression. The thing, the moment for me, I think that probably stood out the most and yeah. maybe it's not so surprising, but it was when I was coming out. And so mm-hmm. really kind of everything coming to a head when I was about like 16 years old or so. Uh-huh. And I just remember, I just like really turned inward. I wouldn't want to open up about anything. Yeah. I just got, yeah, just completely hopeless about stuff. I just felt complete despair. I remember mm. there was um, every summer, me and my family would go to this lake resort. Mm. And uh, there was this one time, this one year I went when I was 16. Yeah. And I just remember just feeling so dark. And this yeah. was supposed to be like a place that I love being with my yeah. friends. It felt so dark. And things like even just being on the lake and seeing the lifeguard who is like, this guy was so sexy. You had, had me those, at like, red And had those red shorts on uh-huh. that hugged every single square uh-huh. inch. And something that should be like, oh, this is so yeah, wonderful. Yeah, How yeah, great yeah, to look yeah, at. It yeah. made me feel so depressed. It just oh. made me turn inward. And eventually I got to a point when I was just like, I can't deal with this. And I turned and I asked my mom, I was like, mom, I need to go to therapy. I don't want you to ask one thing about why and just like set it up for me. And so she did. And I went into therapy and just started sorting it out. My mother would would not have it. <laughs> I was very fortunate because I grew up in a house where uh, we did talk about emotions mm-hmm. and my mom was a proponent of therapy. She sought it out on her own. She, she was a therapist. Her, Your mom was a therapist. She was, no, she wasn't a therapist, oh. but she sought it out herself. Oh. My parents, my parents split up when I was young. And so she just needed any kind of support. And so she went into it. And so then she put me in therapy also at an early age, just to be right. able to have a space to, you know, kind of, but you don't suffer from depression about. now. I no, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that I, you know, suffer from any kind of like major depression. I'm not on medic medication. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something that was previously known as dysthymia. I think it's called now dysthymia. Uh, pers- 
dysthymia. It's now called persistent depressive disorder. And what hmm. that is, is it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's a milder form of depression. I've never heard and, of that. Yeah. And a lot of people kind of fall in this zone. Cause it's not like, oh, I'm so depressed. I feel debilitated, you know, in full despair and I mm-hmm. can't, you know, function. It's more like I can still kind of function. It maybe lasts quite a bit longer, like the right. amount of time to diagnose it. It lasts longer, right. but it's just kind of like milder symptoms. Hmm. And a lot of times when I talk about that with people, they're like, oh my God, yes, that's what I have. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, that's how I so was when I was about 26 like, in my own therapy. When you're, you're uh, was it you persistent know, depressed? Persistent depressive disorder. Per- yeah, so it's persistent depressive disorder. <laughs> yes, PDD. PDD. Um, so I mean, that's just it's it's a lot of things that you kind of associate with depression. You know, just kind of like feeling hopeless, changing appetite, feeling worthless. You know, things like that, feeling sluggish, mm-hmm. wanting to isolate. Do you think fatigue, that's part of the that human stuff. experience? It is part of the human. Ex- of- it is part of the human experience. But when it gets to a point that it begins to interfere with your kind of general long-term perspective on mm-hmm. things and also then your mood, right. then yes, that's when we want to check in on it. I'm not one to really kind of like pin labels down on people and yeah. say like, oh, let's box you in yeah, here. You're this not. Is how to treat and I it. want to all the time. And you're like, let's um, not do that. No, let's we have not. to, use, no, because then no. that's also just I want not labels on everything. I want to put post-it notes on people and their <laughs> diagnosis. So I know no. what's what. Because, well, because then we, we start to over-identify with these things and then it can become a source of shame and, you know, stig- stigma. And shame. so we don't want to do that, but we want to use it as a structure. We just want to use it as a framework. So what was your experience? What was your Trader Joe's experience that made you realize, oh, I have this? Uh, I mean, it wasn't in Trader Joe's, although uh-huh. like oftentimes I'm like yeah. overstocking on the JoJo's. So right. maybe that's a sign, but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it was, it was, it was probably around that time. It was when I was like 16 or so just, oh. just starting to come out. Like okay. that probably would be it. And I think that that was a, a time when I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like I'm actually starting to kind of enter in a little bit more into adulthood hmm. and started realizing that there was more serious things going on with me. That was the time that I started. Okay. Well, you had a little bit yeah. more perspective, an adult, a little bit more perspective, a little bit have, more of an evolved, mature perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when you're 16, it's tunnel vision. You think that this is yeah. it. This is, this is um, it forever and ever and ever. Well, for sure. And especially when we're kids too. I mean, we operate from the, you know, psychology of personal reference, like everything, like we're in our own zone, everything revolves around us. You know, we're the only one experiencing this one thing, but then you start to get a little bit older and you start to realize like, okay, this isn't just me. This isn't just about me. Other people experience (laughs) these things too. You know what I mean? That was the biggest thing about therapy. It's like you come in what? thinking I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm nuts. And I, I'm only the only person, um, experiencing this and the therapist nods yeah. like you're nodding right now and is like, no, you're not that <laughs> right. You're not special. <laughs> no, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's also it's also the reason why, like on my social media, like I'm always trying to post videos talking about all kinds of things, but I always usually just start talking from my own experience mm. because I want people to know everybody yes. deals with this shit. Yes. It's normal. Let's talk about it. There's so much power in talking yes. about it. And Let's vulnerable. talk about it. Let's take the shame yeah. away. <laughs> yes. I'm so excited to bring in our guest today. I am too. I feel so lucky because I'm friends with one of my favorite actors. Oh, that's like, amazing. She's such a, she's so talented and such a lovely person. I really do love today's guest. She's a comedic actress known for her hilarious roles in hit movies and TV shows like The Goldbergs and Reno 911, amazing, Bridesmaids, amazing, and more. She's been called the queen of improv and currently co-hosts her own podcast called Generation Ripe, which I was lucky enough to be a guest on. She's been married for over 23 years, which is a pretty big deal, especially in Hollywood. Please welcome to the show, the fabulous Wendy McClendon Covey. 
Hi. How are you? Welcome to the Depression Show. Yes, welcome. Oh. <laughs> I am thrilled. Lucky you. We, ta- we talked about our meds the last time we spoke. I'm I'm on Lexapro. Yes, I'm on Effexor. Effexor. And yeah. I think that I had, I thought that meds would make me like goofy or just like, uh, like insanely happy or it, it, and I think I had a misperception of what meds are and what my therapist, my psychiatrist said is that it gives you a floor. It's kind of like if you're standing in the shore and the waves are coming at you and the waves get stronger and stronger and it's harder to fight the waves. So what this does is it just makes the water level lower so you can handle it. It's kind of laughing at your shins. And oh, that's a um, perfect way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. I still feel all my feelings, but not all day. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And I think it's good to feel your feelings. Mm-hmm. I always worry when, when uh, someone takes out a big bag of pills that they take for every single little emotion. You know, like, I'm nervous about this audition. Let me take this pill. No, right. you should be nervous. Yeah. Feel yeah. that. Yeah. And use it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But when you can't get off the couch or you can't, you know, set foot outside without thinking, kill yourself, kill yourself. Yeah. Then, yes, you need. Yeah. You need did medicine. it get that bad for you, Wendy? It did. Oh, it wow. Did. Yeah. Yeah. And well, it's been a lifelong problem. But again, I grew up in the 70s and 80s when you didn't deal with that. Me too. Yeah. Wendy, for you, I mean, we were just kind of talking, Alec and I talking about the first experiences for us when we noticed it for the first time and actually, you know, was aware of it. What what was it for you? When did you start to realize that this was a problem? You know, I, I, I can pinpoint even times in kindergarten where I was on a slippery slope, Mm. you know? (laughs) And, and my parents just thought, okay, we've got ourselves a weird kid. But in, um, it, when I was in junior high school, you know, when you go through puberty, everything is heightened anyway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really heightened. Yeah. And yeah, I see that with my own kid. Constant. I'm still going through it. Yeah. Yeah. I got so bad that I would throw up in my sleep. <gasps> wow. Okay. So... That was a problem. Um, Vomiting in your sleep? Yeah. Like you're asleep and all of a sudden you wake up and you're vomiting? I would puke myself away. Oh, wow. Was there anything specifically going on in middle school or was it just entirely organic? Um, You know, when I think back on those times, I think back on them fondly, you know, my my junior high school time. I can't say that I was being bullied or anything else. I... Listen, maybe there's some trauma that I blocked out. (laughs) Buried it deep. Yeah. (laughs) I almost had to repeat the eighth grade because I missed so much school. Wow. Yeah. And they thought, okay, well, you're doing this. Let's take you to the doctor. Maybe you have an ulcer. So Mm -hmm. I had to do the whole upper and lower GI thing. Uh Um, Very traumatizing. Yeah. Um, And then when it didn't stop, my doctor said, well, she's just nervous. Uh, And I thought, well, Fuck you. Right. <laughs> Nervous. Right. That's an insult. But that's when they started taking me to therapy. Okay. And my therapist oh, great. was so useless. Oh no. That she would just watch me peel off my nail polish in silence. <laughs> and she would just look at me. Oh, that's terrible. That yeah, is terrible. terrible. But I got out of PE so I could go to That's the really the most ah, important okay. plus in that yeah. situation. <laughs> 
but yeah, so it was bad. Yeah. yeah. And you know, we, we worked our way through it somehow. And then it got, it got bad again when I was in my twenties. And then it was like, I was unable to make a move. Like I, yeah. I just felt like I was slogging through the mud all right. day or slogging yeah. through quicksand. Yeah. And um, I was telling Alec uh, on our podcast, I, I was put on Paxil, mm-hmm. which elevated my mood, but also kept me asleep for most of the day. Yeah. Oh, but so you're not barfing in your sleep. You're in an elevated yes. mood. <laughs> and I wasn't crying constantly, yeah. but I'm falling asleep in my car. Right. Uh, in the co- in my college parking lot, you know. Yeah. So it, so really, you know, you have to find what works for you and it's it's not going to be easy. No. Sometimes, you know, luck of the draw your your physician will hit hit the prescription you need right away and your problems will be solved. Other times it's going to take several tries and that's going to hurt. Yeah. yeah it's, it's really hard because there, we were also saying before at the start of the show that there's just kind of like a lot of this anti-medication, you know, anti-treatment kind of culture mm-hmm. that we live in too. Mm-hmm. And I know for myself too, I grew up, my mom, I remember I was like 12 years old or so. And I went to my mom because I heard my friend talk about, you know, taking sleeping pills to help him go to sleep. And I was like, that sounds fun. Hey mom, can I do sleeping pills? And she's like, no, and she just went crazy on me. Like it was very <laughs> anti-meds. So right. I was like, okay, I'm never going to do that again. Okay. I can still feel that. That um, within me too. I'm just like always reticent with that stuff. Um, I grew up in the '70s. My mother had Valium. <laughs> she did. She had so Valium. She pro medication. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My family tried to pray everything away. Okay. Uh, you were like you had a strict religious upbringing. What denomination were you again? Yeah, we were Baptist. Okay. But you know, again, my parents didn't know any better. And like you said about your parents, it was you know just be stoic. Yeah. These things happen. Yeah, just tough it out. Just tough it out. You'll come out on the other side. Um, and so that's, it's unfortunate that some of that way of thinking is still prevalent today, because mm-hmm. I would argue that the real weakness is not facing your problems head on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. How did you get to a point for yourself where you thought, let me, ex- let me consider medication. Let me consider kind of more of a direct treatment in this way. Um, because I was not able to get on with my life mm-hmm. yeah. and it, it was in, you know, those formative years of like my, my early to mid twenties where you, again, no one tells you that your twenties suck anyway. Right. <laughs> right. You know, everyone makes it seem like your twenties are just going to be nonstop yep. parties and whatever. Yep. And maybe they are, but that's actually not great. That's not <laughs> right. fun. <laughs> But I think there's a misperception of the ages. Like when you said you were depressed in kindergarten, like, or you were on the slippery slope. Like I loved Charlie Brown when I was a kid because Uh I felt like when I'd watch the Christmas special, people would say, that's so depressing. I was like, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, it was like it was a kid show about kids who were depressed. Yeah, you can exactly. relate. Exactly, like kids who have sadness. And it was being, real. Like it Charlie real. Brown is a really sad character, and he's he's working <laughs> through it like yeah. day by day. And then middle school is supposed to be this great thing where you meet friends, and that's a nightmare. And uh, then the twenties, yeah. like you're you're supposed to be in your physical prime, but you're still dealing with your adolescent self mm-hmm. throughout exactly. all of your twenties. Exactly. Yep. And, and you should, you know, you're supposed to know where you're going and have a target and, um, and be really ambitious. But, you know, again, if the human brain doesn't stop developing until 25, 
why are you really supposed to know? <laughs> a lot of pressure put on kids. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't think most big decisions should be made until your 30s. Yeah, probably. Right. I would agree yeah. with that. I, I don't know. I, I just, I feel bad for people in their 20s thinking that this is the best it's going to get. Like, no, 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 no. No, no. Well, I mm-hmm. think every age has its own kind of tunnel vision. You know, like yeah. my son's 15, he's about to be 16. And and teenagers kind of like are so entrenched in the here and now, which is kind of great. But it's mm-hmm. also kind of like, you have to know that there's a time beyond this where you're going to thrive. And this right. isn't going to be your whole world. Yeah. I have to say, it's also actually kind of, uh, it's actually really nice working when I have clients, it's it's rare, but when I have clients who are in their teens, mm. so much younger, mm. it's actually quite nice to work with people at that stage of life, because there's so much more of an opportunity to kind of like help shape and reshape in ways that maybe their parents don't have the capacity to that kind of thing to like really help kind of guide that. So Wendy, can you nice. imagine being a teenager and having Matthew as your therapist? <laughs> oh my gosh, I would, I would dive so far into therapy. I would be there. <laughs> <laughs> Very diligent. I would do whatever he said. But honestly, no, you're a good therapist who obviously cares about your clients and you want to make Mm -hmm. feel better. You're you're in it to like that's right. Hey, I'm your therapist, but I want there to be a time when you don't have to see me anymore. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. What was it in therapy for you, aside from finding the right medication that worked for you and uh, and having that set up for you? What else was it through therapy that really helped you kind of manage some of the depressive stuff that could come up? Well, the last time I went to therapy, I did have a really good therapist and she called me on my shit. Mm. (laughs) Like what? What was your shit she would call you on? I had gone through a a really bad breakup, Mm. you know, Uh, is there any other? There's no other. (laughs) But I had really chosen to make this a big deal when in retrospect, what was I hanging on to? Right, right. I don't know. Same. Mm -hmm. I think we dated the same guy. (laughs) We we might have. Yeah, we might (laughs) have. But, you know, it was the first time someone broke up with me and there was no real reason. It was just, he was being honest and saying, I don't see this going any further. Mm -hmm. And to me, that meant you're a failure Mm -hmm. as, as a woman, as a human person. And as any, you're ugly, you're useless. Like I really took it personally. Yeah. 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 And so I chose to get very upset about it and it ruined my summer. And, um, (laughs) And I, and I went really dark. Yeah. So at that point, my mother, who was, you know, really tired of my shit said, you're going to go to therapy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I will pay for this. Mm-hmm. You're going to go. We, we need to make you a functional adult. So we medicated me. All right. We did that. She gave me a workbook of things I needed to do. She was, she kept constantly suggesting activities to get me in touch with myself Mm -hmm. and nothing was working. And so she finally said, all right, we've done all this. Let me ask you something. What are you getting out of staying in this state? Oh, okay. What, what is it about? No one does anything without a reward. Mm. That's right. Yep. So you must be getting something out of this. What is it? What was it? Sympathy. Ah, gross, gross, Uh gross. Uh So that is when I, I, um, came to terms with the fact that I was, 
I, I needed sympathy. I was in love with my own misery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I needed that validation that everything was horrible. Right. Right. And I was not going to get it anymore from the therapist. She was yeah. calling me out. Yeah. And I was so embarrassed. And yet that was such a great breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah. I never went back. <laughs> and now <laughs> I was like, he's right. I'm oh. one of those people. I've turned into one of those people that's in love with their sad story. Yeah, yeah. I gotta nip that in the bud right now. Yeah. But My- you know what though? I love I love that your therapist called you out on that, was able mm-hmm. to help you see that there was a function there, right? Like that the, you actually are benefiting from this in some way. Yeah. And of course it's gonna bring up some of that, you know, those gross feelings, but I would say it's not even embarrassment, it's shame, right? Because the shame of there's something wrong with me. Like what yeah. kind of person would do this to garner sympathy or attention from other people? Right. And it's only when we confront that that we then can start to change that narrative that's the hot where we're not mess. where we're not uh, beating. Uh, that's a hot mess that we start to clean up. Yes. We don't beat ourselves up as much and yeah, recognize that it's not that's not gross, right? Like the, that you were looking for sympathy or maybe even empathy is totally normal. The way in which you went about it was probably a little off path, right? Like it, it's not the most effective way to achieve what you're looking for, but it's totally human and totally makes sense. And when we can start from a place of compassion, self-compassion and honoring that humanity within us, then that's what brings us to the next place where we then can continue to you know, strive for a different kind of connection and a new narrative that we can rewrite. Yeah, my therapist busted me on that pretty soon into our, cause I, my, my thing, like, you know, after I was, uh, you know, in sex and love, uh, uh, well, it was codependence anonymous back then, but now it's sex and love addicts, yeah. S L A A. And I was like, cause my issue was I would always become completely obsessed with somebody attracted mm-hmm. to somebody who would immediately put me in the friend zone. And I would just do that over and over again, like annually kind of like pick somebody. And I, and he says, why, why would I? And I said, why would I do this? And he goes, it's an addiction. And I said, what, mm. what am I addicted to? He, he goes, you're addicted to being in that space where you feel the way to what, like Wendy said, like you feel you're addicted to feeling awful in that way. Kind of like it just, it just affirms your own kind of feeling of undesirability. It's all and then you feel your, right about it. Yeah. You're but right there's also right. there's also something that's really protective about it because so long as you're choosing those kinds of people, then you're not mm-hmm. actually having to open yourself up to a real vulnerable opportunity that's of love with said. somebody else. He said by yes. focusing on these people, you're not focusing on yourself. Right. And it keeps the place that it keeps you stuck in is this thing where it's just this constant loop of sadness and victimhood. Where it's like, why doesn't anybody love me? It's like you're addicted to the feeling of being unlovable, which sounds really horrible, but that's exactly what it was. As hard as yes. your 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 eyes are darting back and forth. Am I making sense or am I babbling? That makes perfect sense, actually. You're blowing okay. my mind uh, because that's so honest. Yeah. And it doesn't make any sense on paper. It doesn't make any sense if, on paper. If you lived it, it does make sense uh, because yeah. There is some weird satisfaction about telling everybody, you know, this is this is how it is, blah blah blah. Uh-huh. I'm miserable. Yes. See, look, I'm right. Yeah. And then you get to live your whole <laughs> life that way without yeah. ever confronting the hot mess that you need to yes. confront. Yeah. 
and yeah, yeah there's no was, there's yeah. no lo- there's no logical sense in it but there is no. a ton of emotional sense in it and you guys i just have to say i wouldn't be doing my job if i didn't call some of these things out but there's a lot of like judgmental words that are coming in for both of you about it being weird <laughs> being busted, and Wendy. gross being weird busted. and gross and sad and all that stuff no all of but all of it <laughs> makes sense there's nothing rational about it not logical but emotionally speaking well, what both of you guys are talking about is I want to know that what I feel makes sense. And I don't know how to actually help some of those more difficult feelings, but I'm just grasping at whatever tools I have. Matthew, we're actresses. So this is how we talk to ourselves. It's, it's, how do you, it's, wait, I'm it's tough curious, inside there. I'm curious about this for both of you because I, it's been my experience with comedians that there's mm-hmm. a lot of, that there's a lot of depression that can come up. There's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, negativity. So how, what, what's both of your guys' experience and, and maybe why that happens? Like, what's your guys' thoughts about why that seems to run rampant within the community? Okay, Wendy, go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee, I, I don't, I don't know that I can put words to it. I will just say that you've noticed that because you're a hundred percent right. Like <laughs> no one would do this if they were mentally stable. Nah. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I always you say think, my stand-up, you know? if I was a well-adjusted person, none of us would be here this evening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Why, why do we feel the need to make everybody happy and insist on, on um, entertaining? Why, mm-hmm. why do we feel the need that we have to be the ones to lift everybody up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Are you asking you know? the question or answering? Yeah, is that rhetorical or what's the, what's the answer? Uh, well, Alec, if you've got an answer. I, well, yeah. you know what? I remember as a little kid, as, as this is my uh, adolescent self, kind of like looking wistfully in my uh, Charlie Brown peanuts kind of way and uh, actually thinking the words, why doesn't anybody know that I'm amazing? <laughs> and feeling yeah. really sad about that. Yeah. Feeling, feeling really sad. Yeah. Not just why doesn't anybody like me? Why can't anybody see that I'm amazing? Yeah, I kind of had, a, there was always this part of myself that was like, uh, it's just, it's just being shut down. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind of being told to be quiet. You're too much You're So when I started performing and I started doing stand up, all of a sudden, all of that energy and all that grief had a channel mm-hmm. to, it kind of, it doesn't drive my creativity now. I mean, I like to think I'm healthier at this age, yeah. but so much of it is about like, this is my justification. It was like, this is my chance to kind of line up with that feeling of being amazing. Yeah, right. totally. Yeah. I mean, when we, when we, when we grow up, depending on what our circumstances are and our life experiences, you know, we have that shame within us. It's a, it's a, it's a human emotion, right? Like shame. Yeah. Um, but it can really become pronounced depending on our circumstances. And so when that happens, we all have our different defenses for that, right? Right. Like we don't have the language, especially at an early age to say like, Hey, I'm kind of feeling like not enough. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of feeling inadequate or broken in some way and then be able to process that. So Mm -hmm. we just jump to our defenses and it sounds like for like comedy kind of becomes like a tool, right? It's a way of making people laugh, making people value you. When you get a laugh on stage, Wendy can attest to this. It's, it's a different thing. It's a, all kind of chemicals shoot through your body that make you feel loved and validated validated when you're talking to someone who has stage fright yeah yeah (laughs) so that's maybe why he needs to get up and do that ted talk that's right yeah those feelings and then you'll be addicted Mm -hmm. that's true well it's mine looks very different than yours right but it's the same thing like i've got my own shame i've got my own fear that i'm not enough so i'll like i'll hide not want to put myself on stage where you guys kind of leaned into it and said you're all going to pay attention (laughs) laugh at me when did you have a do you have a first experience like at the Groundlings where you like this, this laugh is happening because of me? 
did you have an experience of like, okay, this feels great? I had a feeling like that during the worst time of my um, junior high school experience when I was throwing up in my sleep mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. I got up um, to do a sketch in front of a bunch of kids that were assholes. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> they just were. Um, and I made them laugh. Yeah. Oh. Made the assholes like, laugh. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. We're on to something here. Yeah. Great. Right. You know? And oh, sure, at the groundlings, I, I had breakthrough after breakthrough that was like, I did it. I did it. Uh-huh. Oh my God, I did it. Yeah. I didn't know if this would work and it killed. Oh, I'm not stupid. Yeah. No, it's lovely. That feeling. That's just a, yeah. yeah. Alec, do you have, this is something that's been happening to me like over the past five years, but do you ever go back and think of things in your life and think, well, sure that happened when I was in the first grade, Mm -hmm. but if I had approached it this way, Oh, of course, all the time. I would have jollied everybody out of it. (laughs) So like I, you know, there's that little boy on Instagram, Boss Baby Brody. I, I don't know him. Yeah, I, don't I know started either. following Charo because of you and Shirley oh, Bassey. Oh, well, she's a gift. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's a gift. Yeah. I love her so much. Yeah. We'll have to go over there when this is all yeah, over. Yeah. I wanna, you, we need to go have a kiki yeah. with Charo. Yeah, we have to go over to Charo's house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and pick some lemons or something. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Boss Baby Brody, so he's four years old. He dances like a little firecracker. He wears his, <laughs> his ballet costumes. Like he is pure joy. Yeah. And I think to myself like, all right, well, that kid's going to have, that kid's got it figured out. Now, if mm. I had done more of this when I was that age, maybe my parents wouldn't have fought so much. Huh. Mm. Gross. Again, there's that judgment word. Oh, Matthew. <laughs> Why am I thinking about that? But I, but see, that's me with my own stuff. I'm so mortified. I mean, those are the words, mortified. Yeah. It's like there was a, a a comedy show years ago called Mortified where people would read journals from their mm-hmm. 13-year-old selves. And it's just mm. like, I wish Liza Minnelli was my mom. You know, stuff like that. that you write. <laughs> my sister did that show. Yeah. <laughs> that my own stuff. It's this show's called Hot Mess because it is. I mean, your own stuff is so embarrassing. It, yeah. But it takes, uh, you know, it's. But everybody's stuff is embarrassing. Everybody's yeah. stuff is. Everybody's stuff is embarrassing, and it can really just like be a shame trigger for us. It's just like, oh my god, I can't believe I wasn't smart enough to hide that from everybody back then, right? right? But instead of being able to do that, kind of like <laughs> lean into it. It's almost like if you could go back to that kid, how can you actually like talk to her and say, you know what, you just kind of you know did whatever, said whatever, but like who yeah. fucking cares? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's okay. Everybody does dumb shit. This is fine. And look, you're going to fucking make it anyway. I right? know. And, and that, and that, that those narrative. awful experiences brought us here. <laughs> exactly. Look how it served you. Right. And maybe, maybe that's why they're, you know, maybe that's why comedians are such miserable people to begin with, but at <laughs> least they see that this shit is hilarious. Yeah. It yeah. is really funny. Uh, Matthew, how can we improve our self-talk? What's that? What can Wendy and I do to improve our self-talk? I mean, this is a part of it. Even <laughs> yeah. Just letting, just, I mean, and that like, that's why I love this show, right? It's hot mess. We get to bring the hot mess to the table, kind yeah. of sort through it and see what's not working. What is still right. shameful talk? 
and get to see, okay, this is just how I'm talking about myself or right. to myself. These are just thoughts. This is not who I am. Don't over-identify with the thinking. Don't even over-identify with the feeling of it, but say, okay, this is just the pattern of how I've been thinking. And so oh. with that, if that's how I learn to think about myself, then I can actually unlearn that about myself and do new practices, gratitude, affirmations, like really being able to practice how you can be so much kinder to yourself. And that actually rewrites the script. I sometimes hear myself in my head being horrible. And what do you do when you notice that it's horrible? I go, shut up. Just kind of, I think the meds <laughs> help, but like before it yeah. would just go on and on about what a horrible person I was. Great. Thought blocking. That's yeah. a strategy. Yeah. yeah. Not, not allowing yourself to go down the rabbit hole of the negative bullshit. Wendy, you're nodding. Well, I, do you ever just like say, all right, enough, Alec. And then you change your physicality or you yeah. play music. Like it's, it's yeah. an active process. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Did your, did any of your stuff ever manifest in a tick of some sort or um, when I was a kid, uh, my glasses used to um, slide down my nose. And uh -huh. so I do this to kind of scrunch my glasses back up. But then yeah. that became my tick when I was in middle school, I had this nervous mm. kind of like thing, all of my anxiety turned into that thing. And my dad would, instead of going, you know, what's wrong with you? He would totally make fun of me. He's like, why are you doing that stupid face again? Mm. Like, <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he called me out in front of everybody and i'd be oh, so embarrassed because i public shaming did you have a tick i did um and it came later it came in my 20s yeah. and i would have to trace every time i saw a square i had to trace it with my head oh that was like an ocd thing yeah 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 huh. I had to, interesting and if something could be a square but wasn't i had to make it a square <laughs> It was exhausting, yeah. <laughs> but um, I, but I fully conscious to, of it. You were fully conscious yeah, of totally it. conscious of it. Like I've got to stop doing this. <laughs> stop, stop doing this. Um, and that eventually just I outgrew it. Luckily, those ticks can I, act, those ticks can actually be helpful because the reason why we can do some of those things, like I play with my hands, like I kind of like pick at my hands a little bit. That's you my do? tick. Yeah, yeah, I do. It's always like you know in private though. It's down here. But um, so, but that we, the reason why we do that is because it's a physical processing of information. And so something's going on, something's coming up for us. You, you know, scrunch your face, you're yeah. doing the square yeah, thing, yeah. I'm picking out my hands. And so it's a good sign for us that we're trying to think through something. So hmm. instead of beating ourselves up and being like, that's stupid. Why am I doing that square thing? It's more of just like, okay, what is going on with me right now? Like what's coming up? Let me just get curious and check in. Isn't hmm. it good? Isn't He's that, so good. Yeah, this is such a great show today. We haven't talked about your illustrious career or oh, bridesmaid. You don't have to. Uh, my husband and I do an impression of you um, in bridesmaids. Annie, I haven't seen you since high school. <laughs> or I want balls in my face. You know, are you a Housewives fan? Um, I, I, I watch little bits and pieces. I can't take a whole lot because I little just think it's pieces. so, I can't figure out whether or not Andy Cohen loves or hates women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. which one do you watch? Um, you know, I watched all of them for a time mm -hmm. and now I can't stand the sound of any of them. <laughs> I think that's but, where I'm at too. But that's, um, I drew a lot of, Rita's characteristics from those women. Oh, because, like, 
she's she's wealthy. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. got everything she ever wanted, but there's just that malaise of <laughs> eh. they stink. <laughs> like, nothing's really wrong. Yeah, nothing's really right. Yeah. and like it all points to get a job. <laughs> but I know, cracked like, a blanket like, in half. Like savages, and they're literally just sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> um. Everybody, but, you know, everybody had a great entrance in that movie. Like everybody kind of had their establishing entrance where you all showed up with, it was like instant exposition for all the whole thing was amazing. Oh. The whole thing was out of control. Amazing. And that uh, was, that was a good time. What yeah. are you, is there any light at the end of the tunnel in terms of Goldberg getting back to work or. We're supposed to go back on August 17th. Now that mm. is a month from now. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows what could happen. True. I mean, yeah. 11,000 new cases of COVID yesterday in I know. Los Angeles. So who the hell knows? Yeah. It's weird. I got a movie that shoots in Riverside at the end of the month. Ooh. And um, yeah, and I have to, uh, I, I said, okay, I'm going to be like Shirley Bassey. I'm going to do my own makeup and hair. Yeah. Um, yeah. We all have to pass the protocol. We all have to be tested right before. Nobody's going to be on set who's positive oh, wow. at all. Yeah. yeah. But I'm just kind of nervous about getting to and from Riverside. Well, God, your my thoughts are with you. Have you done any like voiceover? Have you have you worked at all, or are you just? I haven't. Little- I haven't. I've just been doing um, stuff like this. I've been yelling at my computer screen for the past four months, yeah. or the yeah. phone. It's kind of. It's just a weird. It's a weird thing. I don't know. I think that when the vaccine comes out, that's when things will really kind of get back to whatever right. normalcy. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not going to be the same ever because I feel yeah. like everybody's so germphobic on a set anyway. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and I've, I've felt for a long time, like, well, cold and flu season is here. We all pass it around. Why aren't we wearing masks? Yeah. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. or why, why aren't, you know, hair and makeup people who are in our faces? Right. Right. Why aren't they wearing masks? Why aren't they? Why aren't they? I have a little note here from my producer. Um, I forgot to mention this. You were reunited with uh, Kristen Wiig recently. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, they, okay. So Kristen Wiig and Annie Mumolo, who were the writers of Bridesmaids. Wonderful. Yeah. Mm. Annie Mumolo is the girl on the plane. Who yes. Guys, yeah. Yeah. Who, who was supposed to be in the movie in a bigger part, but she was whalishly pregnant with baby number two. Wow. So that's how long <laughs> it took Bridesmaids to come to fruition is she had two children <laughs> between the table read and the film. <laughs> But um, okay, so they wrote not a follow up to Bridesmaids, but something that, in my opinion, is way funnier. Wow. It's called Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, and it's <laughs> it was supposed to be out right now in theaters. But damn you, Rona! Oh. Yeah. But uh, so it's been pushed a whole year for its theatrical release. But it's about two middle aged women who lose their jobs at Jennifer Convertibles <laughs> and finally go on the vacation of their dreams to Vista Del Mar. I love a road trip movie. <laughs> oh, it is luscious. <laughs> have one scene okay where i'm the catalyst that gets them to vista del mar but jamie dornan is in it Eleven. in a comedic role that you're just you're gonna fall in love okay mm. we know a lot of the same people in yeah. it michael hitchcock mm-hmm. um tom lank yeah oh lots of people it's, it's i was just talking to tommy yesterday but it's it's like everything you want to see in a movie. Can't Dance wait. numbers, 
chases, comedy, light science fiction. <laughs> like everything about it is hysterical. <laughs> I laughed so hard when I read the script. I thought, my God, I really, I, I, I have a weird sense of humor, but this, this is going to solve the world's problem. I can't wait. <laughs> it needs to be yeah. solved. Do you have a hot message for the day? A hot mess message for our hot a mess hot listeners? Mess message. Um, what I will say is we're all, we've all got something. Mm-hmm. Don't be ashamed of it and don't try to just shove it under the rug. Just deal with it deal head with it. on. Anyone who tells you not to, you need to get rid of that person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't need, you were not, whether or not you're religious or anything, just know you were not put on the earth to be miserable and you were not put here to be mediocre. Yeah. So ah. Do what it takes to feel better. Yep. Yeah. Where can we find you on your socials? On my Instagram, I'm at Wendy with an I, mm-hmm. McClendon, one C, Covey, Wendy McClendon Covey. Uh-huh. And on Twitter, I'm at Wendy McClendon Co. It wouldn't let me put the ovy. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy, thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Absolute pleasure to talk to. I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to see you. Thank you so much. It was my ultimate pleasure to do this with you guys today. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Wow, Matthew, what a wonderful show. Such a great show. Wait, yeah, what's your her. hot message of the day? Uh, I think my hot message is uh, maybe echoing a little bit of what Wendy's saying, right? Like we're not broken. We all feel deeply, especially some of us can really feel our emotions a lot. I like to think about it as a superpower, not that it's a bad thing. Hmm. Um, and Reframing ha- it. Reframing it. And there's also uh, a great quote by uh, uh, Hannah Gadsby. She says, when somebody tells me to stop being so sensitive, I feel a little bit like a nose being lectured by a fart. So don't ever forget that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My hot message is it's not loving to love somebody who doesn't love you. (laughs) Very good. That's true. (laughs) And if you're doing that, cut it out. There's probably stuff about yourself that you're avoiding. 100%. And I can say that from experience. And I'll I'll try to have more positive <laughs> self-talk. Matthew, where can people find Good. you on your socials? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at MJ Dempsey Psych and Matthew J. Dempsey Psychotherapy on Facebook. And you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The Hot Mess Pod. Yay, we've got a thing. So follow us there. I'm Alec Mappa at Alec Mappa on Instagram and Twitter. This has been the Hot Mess Podcast. We know you have many choices when it comes to being entertained in the podcast universe. So we're so grateful that you chose to spend this time with us. So we'll see you next time at the Hot Mess. Bye, guys. Bye.